and welcome to this very special episode of Off The Track. I'm your host for the first time this year, Ben Galvin. I was a part of Team Ascension at the 2019 World Finals. Here tonight, joined with Peter Russell. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. I'm Peter Russell. I was part of Infinitude. Indeed, indeed. Uh, I've also joined by Matthew, who hasn't put their last name in the chat. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, Matthew Westerman. I was a part of the 2023 team Constellation. Ethan Cahill. Sorry. Nope. He's gone silent. That's <laughs> nice. <laughs> um. <laughs> 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 okay, let's skip him. I'm like let's skip him past and <laughs> and Javier. <laughs> He's done the exact same thing. Wait, Fantastic sorry, start, fellas. Right, That's wait, the what, intro. I to say. No, I think he just brain froze. Javier, you yeah, introduce yourself. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm an host, Javier, uh, and I was part of Eclipse uh, from 2019 to. Uh, the 2023 World Finals in Singapore. Fantastic. Um, and in tonight's episode, we're going to be doing a, a bit of a recap from the the past year or so uh, within FYN schools, um, covering all things uh, from the World Finals uh, to just general ongoings. Uh, first and foremost, just want to say a big thank you to our audience this year. Uh, we've had another, uh, from what I would call a successful year, operating off the track um, and being a, a group together. Um, just some some numbers here real quick. Uh, 39,000 reach on Instagram over oh. this year, which is up 50% from last oh. year, which is insane um, in terms of statistics. 10,000 profile visits on Instagram, uh, as well as a, a bit of a growing audience on, on Facebook as well, 5.8 thousand reach. So again, thank you. Uh, for, for continuing to support us uh, and support the competition. Uh, another huge thank you to our whole team here. Um, a lot of us have taken a bit of a step back this year. Um, obviously, Peter resigning temporarily, kind of, and then, <laughs> then coming Joel, back into that's the one competition <laughs> full force. Um, but a, a lot of us have, have definitely taken a bit of a step back. Um, but I just want to say a big thank you to, to those that have stepped up. And those that do still continue to produce content for us, I think if it wasn't for the support that we've gotten both internally and externally as a group, uh, we certainly wouldn't be doing what we are doing today. And we were saying before the episode that when I started off the track, well, hang on, the, at the point at when I started off the track is now at the point you are at Ben. So by that, <laughs> then you should now be taking over off the track for the next three years, right? I, I guess by by right of passage, that's where I'm at. But uh, <laughs> is that I, going I, off age, or is how how are you calculating that? Um, it actually might be plus one year onto that. To be honest, oh, I, I'm going to say okay. out of competition. So you were out of the competition for three years yes. by the time you started off the track. I've actually been out of the competition for four years now. Okay. So there I've actually know. been in off the track longer than what you were when we started off the track. Like. X can pick. Anyways, I've that's, just confused that's everyone. So confusing for me too. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, my first episode this year. Fingers crossed, this isn't taken down like every other piece of content. Mm. Should uh, we? Should we have a quick recap of, of the 
previous oh, pieces of content. So the one article <laughs> I've ever written was immediately taken down. Um, great article, by the way, if you ever read it. What was it about? About, about France it returning. Was about France. Well, so France, for the <sighs> first time, I think you wrote competing it, F1 it was, in skills and then. Because they, probably- they said it was for the first time. It was like the first time that France itself had entered by themselves. But <laughs> uh, alas, I was immediately corrected by unknown sources. Um, yes. Then there was the, the mental health episode, which went through two rewrites. Um, there was an Instagram post that I put up this year that was immediately taken down due to incorrect information being provided. And all these situations, not my fault, by the way. <laughs> not a single one. But ben, the, ben, your uh, content is great quality. It's okay. Yeah. Thank you. I do and try the, my best. To be fair, every piece of content was quite quite well put together if it wasn't for the fact that it was blatantly wrong. <laughs> the first Christmas episode we did, which was the last Christmas episode we, we did, was pretty good, I would say. So hopefully if, if this lives up to it, then uh, it should be pretty good. Fingers crossed. That's it. Um, and, and on that note, actually, um, this being the first Christmas special that we've had since 2019, um, that was also the last physical, fully in-person event. So um, it, it's quite crazy how far so the competition has evolved between then and now, um, and especially sort of being on the outside of the competition, it's certainly a, a different perspective as well. Oh, yeah. And now that I'm coming back into the competition as a teacher, let's say a pseudo teacher, um, you forget a lot about, you know, the stress of it and what it's like. And yeah, it does feel a bit weird. But I remember I I was just listening back to the last Christmas episode we did and I said something about having to do something virtually. I think I was talking about the pressure challenge. Well... Look at the foreshadowing of that. That was at the <laughs> end of 2019. Boy, I didn't know what was coming, uh, you know, in the next few years. But, oh. but yeah, it's good to be back. Everything's in person, which is lovely. Lovely to see. Certainly. Um, just a, a quick touch on uh, sort of the way F1 schools have sort of evolved in in that time, as well as the, the way media's perceived it. Certainly fantastic that uh, students are now getting a lot more I feel like a lot more sort of uh, things are being presented to students in terms of opportunity, especially from uh, simultaneously both F1 schools and Formula One themselves have put in an absolute massive effort to to keep this competition alive uh, over the past four years uh, against all adversary. Um, obviously, we went through uh, a, a virtual world finals and a, a hybrid world finals and uh, finally, to return to a, a fully in-person World Finals is just fantastic. Um, and al- although I haven't kept up with it all too much, we do have two competitors from this year's World Finals. Um, how, how would you guys say your experience was with this competition, especially returning to, to the in-person uh, structure? We'll start with Matthew. Oh, I'd say it was a great experience. Um, like... I went in not really knowing what to expect. Uh, like that was my first in-person competition as well. So I went in, I sort of, I looked at the timeline. I was like, okay, this is going to be really intense. I know I'm not going to get much sleep. We we're writing verbals the night before the presentation as is probably a rite of passage. Um, but no, it was awesome. And it was really cool to meet everyone and socialize with like the Germans, with the Greeks, Portuguese actually, who I think that was their first time competing. It was really cool to meet them. Um, as I said on the live stream, the pool was the highlight. 
So, as why, I'm sure and why was, would you say that? Oh, it was just, it's a communal space, right? So you've got, you've got everyone coming in, you've got everyone congregating, you're just having a great time together. As I'm sure mm. it was in 2019 and in 2016, if you had a pool. Wait, Peter? I'm trying to, there was a pool, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same as how it was set up in Singapore. And I see Mabu Dhabi. It was, uh, yeah, it was Singapore. That was an amazing venue. Like the hotel, yes. especially that was, oh, yeah, they it was did a good job phenomenal. with that. Yeah. But uh, it was a shame that uh, certain things happened there with the pool. Um, no, nothing happened in the pool. The pool was <laughs> the pool was quiet. There was no issues with the pool. No, nothing. I mean, ever to be honest, I didn't pool. use the pool that much, but it was. It seemed pretty good from all I could see. So it was great. And it was good getting a notification uh, the next morning. Saying, <laughs> oh you know, no, we don't need to talk due, about the notification. Due to activities overnight, the pool has been uh, restricted. <laughs> <laughs> Not that that stopped anyone, honestly. Mm. Not that that stopped anyone. But I'm sure it did stop the both of you, Matthew and Javier, from uh, using the pool. What would you say, Javier? Yeah, what about the about the whole thought it was just a pool? Oh, both. Yeah, okay, both. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, the whole one were in the pool, really. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, I had a I. I had a little bit of a different experience to Matt. So I'd, I'd competed all throughout COVID. Um, so I've sort of got to grips with what it was like to go to virtual events. And I was very fortunate with Eclipse to go to the 2022 World Finals, uh, which was held as a hybrid event. And although it was absolutely amazing, uh, we didn't have the full experience. So when we decided to compete for a final season and, and get to Singapore, um, yeah, I suppose being there was, was the experience of a lifetime. Um, I can speak for myself, obviously, but I know... Um, my team uh, and everyone we spoke to uh, had an absolutely phenomenal time. Um, yeah, it wasn't just the pool, as Matt was saying. I think the whole venue of the hotel and the whole venue in Sentosa uh, w- was incredible. Walking in uh, the first day through the doors and seeing all the pit displays, uh, seeing the, the main stage was, yeah, just something I'll, I'll oh, never forget. that was forget. incredible, yeah. Like, walking around, seeing everyone's pit display, just wow, all the different interpretations, all the different representations of each team was just awesome. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, aside from the I game, game, game how... of time to... Sorry. All right. Okay. I, I don't I was know just gonna how, say... how I've done this, but <laughs> we're somehow streaming on Switch <laughs> this episode. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, blimey. <laughs> Uh, hello to actually just one viewer, which is myself. So that's fine. But I don't know how I've done that. Are we keeping? May as well keep it. Yeah, oh, why not? Why I'll, not? Let's I'll continue. Mod it. I'll mod it. It's fine. I'll go up as a bot afterwards. That's fine. <laughs> oh well. Um, fantastic. Hello, Twitch, hello, Twitch viewers. <laughs> because I saw I, there was a message that came through on the Discord, and I was like, "We're streaming? What?" Yeah, I see that now. <laughs> yeah, oh. I. I I was going to question it. Uh, I saw the notification. I went, hang on. This isn't planned. But. Okay, then. Anyway, uh, let's continue. To be honest, it's not a bad idea. Uh, that's fine. It's fine. not it a works. bad idea. It's actually more unfiltered footage. I was going to make the point that. What were you going to make out We got five people. It was really nice that we had. It was we really nice people. that we had time to, to explore Singapore as well. Um, because I know, uh, I mean, yeah. Team, me oh, yeah, that, was good. that was awesome. We got to see, you know, lo- loads of places in Singapore. Uh, and I'll definitely walk away from the event and the whole <laughs> time there 
um, with memories that will last a lifetime and friends as well. And I, I know Matt touched on it, but you know, I've got friends I still speak to every day now. Um, you know, Matt, uh, James, you know, many people from different teams, uh, especially my team as well. That I speak to you very, very often. So yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. Very culturally yeah, enriching experience. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Singapore, I feel like, is an amazing city for mm. for this like kind of event because it's really easy to get mm. around. Like everything you want is there. Sentosa, I think, is a pretty good venue. Oh, and the after party yeah, as really well. Like that was. Oh, that, that was phenomenal. Was just yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Yeah, after party was great. I mean, there was, and, uh, there, was there was stuff went... to see at, at the after party, and 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 the pool as well. Sorry, I was going to say, there's just lots to see. As uh, someone who went to Singapore at the exact same time and had absolutely nothing to do with F1 schools, it was a uh, <laughs> fantastic country and a great event. Um, lovely. Uh, speaking on, on this year's World Finals, actually, um, obviously, uh, I want to say it was around the mid, mid-year where the new regulations had dropped around around the car um, and, and most notably the, the halo was thrust upon us and introduced into the competition um with the with the current generation of the cars and sort of the design philosophy around do you two find sort of much variance into into previous years that you've competed have yet or, or even any challenges that arose that you didn't see yeah i, I would say probably the biggest challenge that we didn't uh, spot was uh, in terms of the weight of the car Obviously, we'd, be, we'd been competing for you know almost three years uh, prior to the World Finals before we started developing our car to the new regulations, um, and we'd always sort of you know we'd always sort of been okay with the weight, and it's something we knew how to manage. But then again, the World Finals with the added, added uh, halo component, um, yeah, we that that's something we really struggled with uh, when we got to the event, and uh, it was definitely a learning um, learning experience that we, we've, we've we've now taken away from the competition, um, which is just to you know triple check. Uh, triple check when when stuff changes, and I, I suggest every competitor does that. When when you do get a new set of regulations, print out both, or or uh, maybe com- um, compare them in a, in a uh, PDF converter, or just really go over every single detail that's changed because you, you can miss stuff out um, that, that's really critical. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd really suggest um, printing out the new regs, sitting down with all your engineers. And just going through with a highlighter or some sort of red pen, making notes about, okay, I can do this, I can't do this, and trying to figure out what you can do, like how you can make your car as good as possible. Yep, certainly. I think um, that's sort of a sentiment that we've, we've shared over the past sort of, what, four years now of, of off the track is really just refinement and, and checking over the things that you've done. I mean, we did a whole episode on, on obviously checking your cars at, that's a, that was a few years ago now, but um, yeah, certainly hasn't changed. Where definitely need to be be checking this sort of thing. Uh, with with this year's regulations, did you know any, any trends, any any common occurrences among the cars, or uh, from from what I saw, limitedly, um, it, it did seem like there was still a, quite a big variance in between the cars, but definitely with more as we head towards a more regulated competition, the the cars are certainly starting to look a bit more similar to each other. There was a um, statistic on the F1 in Schools page that I saw. Let me just bring it up. It was... It says... Da, 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 the average time of cars compared to last year increased by just 0.097 seconds 
and the average weight was just one and a half grams higher than those at the world finals in 2022, which is an interesting statistic um, to see. So yeah, I don't know what that means, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, personally from what I saw, there's still quite a lot of, as you said, Ben, variants in the uh, car design, like everything from the halo position. I know Javier, his car had quite a forwards halo, whereas ours was pretty much as far back as you can put it. And then there's also like all those options with different wings, like whether you take the multi-element that they've made more accessible now, or whether you just go with your single element that you're familiar with from your national regs. Um, there's all sorts of things that you can do. Um, and it's about figuring out what's the best now. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with Matthew there. I think, um, you know, there was a lot of variants of cars and that was brilliant to see. I think we had a conversation when the regulations came out um, about this. Uh, and I think uh, what I expected uh, came true, which was that uh, you'd see a lot more innovation on the cars, be a lot more different. Uh, and I love seeing that. Uh, one of my favorite things being at World Finals was I was able to, you know, look at a car and go up to a team and, you know, ask them why or, or ask them why they made the design choice uh, to, to, to make their wing a certain shape or something like that. And I think that was, yeah, really, really important to the whole experience in, in the new season. Can I ask Javier, does your, uh, do you still have your Lego sets of Singapore in your room? Or, uh... Is it by chance? <laughs> this one. <gasps> oh, yeah. Of course, I still have <laughs> it. Here we go. It's a great set. We're having a Lego off. off. It's, it's a fantastic set. Great. Oh, great that's the set. one. Oh, it's that's it. There we are. <laughs> Wait, hold on, my, fantastic my Lego set. So, fun fact the, the set actually includes uh, this building here, which is the Fulton, which I stayed at a night at, which was a beautiful, beautiful hotel. Very expensive. Um, I don't think I'd ever spend that much on a hotel again. Subtle flex. Uh, Subtle flex. I know. Stay night in the, <laughs> the Fulton. Sorry, guys. We, so my, my partner and I, we sat down to have lunch there because we got there quite early. Um, bit of an off topic. Uh, good old off the, off the topic. Um, but we, we got there, sat down to have lunch. Um, and, and I had uh, quite a delicious uh, sort of local uh, local dish of, of like a seafood noodles, mm. um, and and my partner who's vegetarian had uh, I believe some form of toasty, uh, got got a coffee each, and it was like sixty Singaporean dollars for for lunch at a bloody cafe, and that was wow. that was mental to me. That's extortionate, yeah. So, Especially compared to some of the street food that we found, like. We were, mm. we were being charged like 10 Singapore, maybe less for a meal. Well, I got a whole fish for 20. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> wow. Were you there, Peter? When we went to the, um, the you were, the, the Grand Prix day when. I was, yes, I was. Yes, 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 yes. yes. I, I yes, sat yes. down my, my entire fish for, for 20 Singapore. Oh, yeah, I remember now. That was magnificent. That, Gee, was, that was crazy. Massive. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Uh, the but, food uh, in Singapore is truly just like, wow. Like. Yeah, can't get it anywhere else. I don't think. No, and certainly not for oh, that I price was saying as well. That the, the food was. I'll say the food was really good, but I think my mic was muted. <laughs> <laughs> can we can we just acknowledge? Because some people, the last episode we did with you, Javier, <laughs> you um, on our end, it looked like you had left the call, so we all assumed you had left. But 
in reality, you were still here. And when I went back through the recording, oh, I was there. Um, you kept trying to interject and it, you looked very annoyed. <laughs> um, it was, it was so just like really hard to watch. I was, I was more, at some it. point you have to release that footage. Yeah. It was more, it was, it was more getting sadder and sadder. Yeah. I was like, why, I was like, why is Jesse, why is Jesse not letting me speak? I just, he's asked, I, at one point I think Jesse asked my opinion and, and I, he didn't let me like, I wasn't able to speak. So why, why, why is he not let me speak? And little did I know. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh. A classic fumble. A classic fumble. We um we have yeah. a question actually from someone on Twitch. So this is the beauty now of uh doing this live. Well, not a question, but someone just saying the lofts behind the Halo were interestingly similar and unoptimized. So it could be somewhere there's improvement for next year. I think certainly as um so the the competition develops its regulations, the Halo is going to be better integrated. I think. Um, obviously the only experience I could speak on is in 2019, our regulations were the introduction of the single element rear wing, um, where it practically removed having the, the central support, which was an incredibly common trend in F1 schools up until that point. Um, and, and so, you know, the first year that that was introduced was, I, I want to say nothing short of awful, um, where... There were 10 teams that were legal with it and everyone else had pretty much failed a, a very key regulation, which, you know, shook up the competition massively in terms of who could win and, you know, what awards were going to be handed out where. But, you know, if, from a competition standpoint, having 10 teams in knockouts without any form of penalty out of, at that point, was the largest world finals is shocking. Um but, you know, over the past couple of years, that regulation has been integrated significantly better than what it was back then. I think that's just a, an element of sort of the, the competition evolving in of itself um, and how we still do have development with with cars. After what's uh, become nearly two decades of this competition operating, we're still seeing cars that, you know, if you showed, say, the Sting is back in 2010, they would lose their minds over just based on the, the amount of changes in uh, sort of undergoings that have happened in the competition. So uh, I think although, you know, certainly interesting and unoptimized this year, next year it could be, you know, so sort, of, sort of a key room for improvement that next year's teams can look at this year and uh, certainly, you know, innovate on. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that actually. Um we at our world finals there was a rear wing regulation that a lot of teams got stuck on i think almost all the teams got stuck on it um which was the rear wing position had to be in some certain gap between the end of the car and something else i don't know i'm not the engineer don't assume me <laughs> <laughs> like um but it's interesting that um the regs also have these little kinks that need to be ironed out and like Ethan can probably attest to this because he was um, one of the scrutineers. But like, there's these little things that the wording was really tricky on that reg. We had to check with a couple of people to make sure we were doing it right. Um, but a lot of people got caught out. I think we were one of very few teams that got that one right. And at the end of the day, they just wrote that reg off. They said both interpretations are fine. So Very interesting. Well, I suppose... Um well, at my world finals, there was quite a bit of different interpretation with that regulation. So 
although I did just say that it pretty much killed the the single support element, there were some teams that managed to pass based on purely the the definition of of how it was defined, um, which is by the the cord length. It had to have a continuous cord length. So if your support didn't actually go to the extremities of the wing, it would technically be illegal. But um, no, it's it's very interesting. Uh, so hearing that that's still an issue. I remember we were talking to a member from F1 school staff um, and sort of how they came up with regulations. And a lot of it is changes on the whim and you won't really know how regulation performs until you have a competition. Um, and, you know, we've been quite critical of certain regulations over the years, um, <laughs> namely our episode on, on the packaging regulations uh, was was a very heated debate uh, amongst the wider F1 schools community, actually, which is very surprising, sort of the discourse that we got around that. Um, but, yeah, just discussing with, with the staff, uh, it's very interesting sort of hearing that uh, the regulations, much like the cars themselves, have to go through a, a few years before they can properly iron out all the kinks. And and it's worth saying for those pit display um, regulations, we they came out when was it start of twenty twenty, um, but then you know we didn't see the effects of those until you know um, this year or last year they trialed it at the world finals then, but really it was this year that they came into effect. Um, and to be honest, I support what they're doing there with you know trying to reduce all the packaging, especially because within Australia there was um, I don't know if you were there, Ben. Ethan would have been there definitely. It was oh when was it? Was it twenty twenty? Maybe. I think 2020 at Bosch. Um, oh. And because it's a really... Well, you would have been there in 2019. No, you were there in 2020 as well, but... I, I was there both years, yes. Both years. Um, but when they're packing it up... Sorry, when they're setting it up, because it's such a tight space, um, they had to do it in two, um, two sessions. But the amount of just packaging everywhere is just insane. And you're like, you know, stepping over boxes and it's just ridiculous. So... I support fully that they're trying to move to having less packaging and less kind of wastage um, in a sustainable way. Because at the end of it, it's really a one-use thing, using it for two or three yeah. days. Um, yeah, if you can reduce the impact of that, then that's pretty good. So yeah, it's pretty good that we've seen that in effect now. I think it's good that the way they have implemented it now, I think when they first did it, you were limited to a certain number of boxes. Might mm -hmm. be wrong. I think, yeah, I think it was a contention. certain number of boxes in a certain dimension. I think dimension. it was six by a certain yeah. dimension, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but it's good now that you can do an unlimited amount. But, yeah, hand-carried, um, which, yeah, is easier for everyone, really. Less, you know, freighting and all that sort of stuff, which is good. And from a competitive yeah, standpoint, I thought that that was, like, like, it was relatively straightforward. You sort of, you design your trade display to the way that you wanted it. You could either, you could take two approaches. You could design it to be packaged or you could design it the way you wanted and then make it packaged. And both the approaches were sort of, they ended up being fine. I think uh, the teams that probably designed it to be packaged were, ended up doing better than the teams that just designed it how they want. Like I know ours was pretty full on um, and our trade display didn't score particularly highly. I'm not sure why, um, but that was, um, <laughs> sorry, uh, lost my train of thought. Um, so like there were heaps of different approaches and I liked that while the packaging restriction was there, like there was still enough versatility that teams could come up with these like completely different designs. I don't know how heavy I found it. Like 
maybe he'd like to chip in. Yeah, so we were we were really fortunate that one of our partners um, was sort of a, what they do. They're, they're a specialist in the cardboard uh, displays, if you want to put it like that. Uh, so they really helped us, um, you know, come up with. Well, we came up with a design, and we worked with them to work out how it was going to fit in the uh, in, in the luggage requirements we were given by by, by uh, Singapore Airlines. Um, and so we went for that approach. Uh, but yeah, once we got there, it was really easy to sell. Uh, we we managed to um, yeah, so, you know, set some of the cardboard up even before we got to the event. So we were able to just move it in, uh, put up our panels, and you know, we we, we did it in the time limit. And I thought it was yeah, great to see all the pit displays uh, being more, much more sustainable and seeing what people could do. Uh, it was really impressive to see um, you know what what teams from all over the world could bring to the event. Um, with these new restrictions in place compared to other world finals where you're allowed pretty much uh, free reign. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, it was pretty impressive the way that you, like, as far as I, I, I remember, you were literally, you set up your trade display into three different components and you did that in your hotel room, then carried it down to the venue in those, like, completed pieces and then you probably finished set up in, what, half an hour or something? Like, that was... It was a really yeah. different approach. I don't think I'd seen it very much before. Yeah, yeah. So we were able to set really quickly. It just just made sure that um, you know, we got everything like our solar panel, all our electronics set up correctly. Um, just some more more of the technical complexities we were worried about. So when we got there, we just left ourselves with uh, enough time. I think if we, even if we would were to have brought it into the event uh, all flat flat packed uh, again, we could have done it in the in the time limit. It was just more of a yeah, more more of a, an a, an ease of use thing. Yeah, all right. And I think people with the Infinitude pit display, people look at that a bit and go, oh, wow, that looks really impressive. But what people don't understand is that it was a nightmare to ship and, like, you know, get that all through the US, um, you know, and all that. It was, oh, yeah, such a headache. So, um, yeah, it's definitely better. It's more advantageous to, uh, even though, you know, with our pit display, yeah, it looked, you know, quite impressive, but shipping it was a pain. If you can just remove that headache for yourself in the first place, uh, yeah, then you can focus in other areas. So, yeah, no, it would be interesting to see next year what, you know, a year's worth of development on these regs for the pit displays will bring. Um, but, you know, talking about is, is next that, year, what oh. do we think could happen next year with the regs? Or Javier, what were you going to say? Sorry. I was going to ask a question, which is slightly tangent, but we, we don't have to answer it. My question was, uh, is there ever something you wanted to see in the competition that maybe you saw this year or you, you haven't seen this year that you'd like to see in the future? Because I know for one, I'll start off. I've always, always wanted to see a pit display uh, with nothing, with no physical content. I'd love to see a pit display where someone works out that you can project the entire pit display um, onto some white panels or something like that, um, and you walk in and, and, well, and there's no sort did of... That. If I remember correctly, to an extent, if I remember correctly, Recoil did that to an extent. Like they had a little extent. desktop table, and I think they had side walls, but a yeah, lot of yeah. their content was on a projector. And yeah, I know so that, that at one was, point we were thinking about doing that as well. We're talking the whole pit display. Interesting. Yeah, the whole pit display. I think the issue is, is that yeah. um, at this current point in time, I reckon projector technology is the thing holding people back. Because you, you get to the event, you don't understand what the lighting conditions are going to be. And in some lighting conditions, projectors just look appalling. Um, the other issue you've got is, you know, you need a, a perfectly flat background that has to be perfectly white. 
Um, and if you're going to project everything, you need to un- like, are you going to do multiple projectors or are you going to, you know, figure out the, the way that uh, an image will curve around um, certain things and the, the throw on things as well. And understand from memory, Ethan, Ionic uh, in, in 2019 had a projector on their pit display. Um, how, how did that go for you? Uh, it was pretty good, but we, yeah, we, as you said, there are issues that came with it. Um, so like for us, when we got the models for the booth, there was, there, there wasn't like a middle panel, um, where like the two panels connected. Um, when we got there, there was this giant panel, like a metal piece and that pushed the booth out by like 10 mils and it just ended up creasing. Well, not creasing, but like folding some of the banner. So the projector didn't look that good. And then also, yeah, just because of the lighting, um, I think it was like a slightly yellow hue, um, which, yeah, didn't make the projector look that good. So, yeah, it's a lot of playing around and kind of on-the-spot stuff you'd have to do if you had a projector like that at Worlds. We had a... um comment in the chat saying that Adventum had a pretty interesting one with no physical tables and stands. I'm just looking at it now here on uh, on Instagram and mm. it's kind of like one of those walk-in booths that you can well, walk into as the name suggests. Um, yeah, certainly. I, I don't know if yeah, I don't, I, I don't know if I like walk-in booths or not. I don't know. I think they're pretty cool because it kind of encloses you in their experience let's call it. Mm. Um... But yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I like walking booths or not. But yeah, it's just, they've just got posters up on the wall, some kind of stands hanging out. And it oh, looks, yeah. looks pretty good. Mm. I've, um, I, I've got written in my in my show notes, actually. Um, I guess we're kind of already discussing with the current trends and performances of teams within the competition. Um, I suppose one of those trends that I have seen growing over the years, especially sort of um, now that I'm now judging the competition, have done pretty much since 2019, um, walk-in booths have evolved so much since when I competed because I, I think before they were a bit of a gimmick um, and, you know, no one really sort of took advantage of the space that they were in. But there were a couple teams uh, in the Australian competition, namely uh, Rapidity that had a, a walk-in trade display um, that I thought would do- was done quite well um, and, and effectively as well with, the way that the team would stand in the booth and, uh, you know, in interviews they would point out certain things and you'd be able to step into the display and, and have a look. So I think although I, I wasn't the biggest fan of them back then, I think now sort of as the competition has evolved, especially in the trade display department um, and people are getting a bit more brave in terms of the structural uh, design of the display, I, I think it's certainly a more viable option now. Mm. I think going back to Javier's question, also Javier's question, um, what would we like to see from the regulations? Yeah, I, I don't really have anything I'd like to see, to be honest. I don't know, what does everyone else think? I I want to see more, um, more adaptability, I guess is the word, of the cars. Like, I want to see cars being able to change between even between races 
Like at it's the like end of the like Transformers style. Not, yeah. not Transformers. Are you talking <laughs> like, like um, having setups? Like yeah, so yeah, exactly. Like so you've Formula got a couple you can of different area, wings. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then maybe, it, I don't know if it's possible, but maybe a way to analyze the data and sort of go, okay, this it was doing well in the first split because I know they've got um, split timing. It was yeah. doing well in the first split, but it's quite slow in the second. How do we reduce that? And maybe you can uh, change the wheels or you can change your front wing, change your rear wing based on the data. Um, and maybe if, even if it like, even if somehow you could get an accelerometer or something into the car, I know we did some testing on an accelerometer, but if you could do that and then analyze the data after that and do like microscopic adjustments, that'd be really, I think a lot more engaging. I think that'd be really interesting. I feel like the biggest variance though from race to race, and I might be completely wrong, but I feel like the biggest variance from race to race is the canister. Oh um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I, 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 even though they weigh them and they make sure they're all the right weights, <laughs> I, it's still, I don't know, something still happens between race to race. And I will freely say that the world record, I feel like was a complete fluke um, <laughs> with that run. Because if you look at all the other first. runs, right, with Lurs, it was, it's all over the place. So, I, I yeah, I, obviously, of course, the engineering had the part to do with it. That's not to diminish what and Jesse and Luke did. And a huge kudos to Jesse and Luke, yeah. 100%. Uh, but I, <laughs> that run, when the world record was set, I feel like something, the canister was, you know, had a part to play in that. And I don't know if what happened there, but... And uh, teams have done happen. testing. I know Evolve <laughs> Australia has done testing with, like, the puncture... Um, you know, looking at the puncture in the canister, it's quite interesting. Um, but yeah, sorry, Harry, you said something. <laughs> just going quickly no, into that there, based on. Uh, oh, did you say there something? You sorry. Oh, I'll no, take no, the stage. Um, <laughs> um, I just want to quickly say um, on the puncture. I remember in 2018 at the national finals in Australia, and that was the first competition that the Australian competition swapped from utilizing the Pitsco track to the um, F1 schools, like actual OEM track. Um, and we had massive issues with, with the puncture, not so much the canisters, but just the puncture mm. uh, where we were seeing cars setting. sort of two second lap times um, initially in the day. Uh, unsure if it was the way they were set up or if it was the, Tasmania was the worst environment to hold the competition, by the way, might I add. Um, but, but yeah, I, I still reckon punctures are a, a huge issue within the competition. Obviously, when you think about it, like that needle is going to dull down over, like there's what? Thing is, statistically, there's 50 teams, two cars each. Uh, they do, what, two or four runs on each car? Like yeah, that's a lot of runs for you know, not changing a single element about the track, including the needle that has to be thrust into the caster at God knows what speed. Like, anyways, there may be some, uh, some material changes there that you could make to, to make it more reliable or design changes. Who knows? I do like that idea though. That, that is a quite, quite a nice idea, Matt, with, you know, if we, especially if they're going to make it more like Formula One and, you know, that is what happens in Formula One. You do practice and whatever, yeah, and then you go back and you know all the engineers look at the data, and it's very data driven how they make changes, etc. I mean, if you could um, use the if you could use the um, race sessions on the first couple of days as like almost a practice type thing, 
and then in the knockout, you're sort of locked in Park Ferme and you can't mm. change anything. That's um, interesting. I've got half an eye on the Twitch chat. Um, someone said, personally, I'd like to see more complex wheel regulations because that would add another uh, dimension of complexity and manufacturing to the car. So what are what are the wheel regs like at the moment? Because I don't pay attention to any of the I mean, regs. But... From what I remember, they're pretty simple. Um, it's pretty much you've got a is it a minimum diameter you've got a minimum diameter and you've got a minimum wheelbase um and you've got a minimum thickness and that's about it other than that like you can have as many spokes as you want you can have any interior rim design you want all sorts of things like, well even down to the sort of um thickness of the material as well as the so uh, approach you take to the actual wheel design um a, a very very open-ended at the moment um like i remember from memory on the infantry car you guys had a, a your sort of like hubcap and actual wheel itself that was the one component meanwhile you've got other teams out there that are like i remember our our wheel system was about four or five components and then there are some that have you know 10 or more components within their wheel system um so i think sort of if we can bring that a bit closer i think that'd be be really cool um and even if we did like a, a i remember they wanted to do the wing pit stop challenge i reckon get rid of that instead of doing a wing change do a do a tire change make it like real formula one get yeah. rail gut out and everything and then there was another message in the chat. Still a bit more credit should be given to Infinitude as a whole because there were several sub one times that year. True. But Infinitude definitely had the best lures. Interesting. Oh, and again, another one. Maybe making suspension mandatory. Oh, that's an interesting topic. That's or a forcing the wheel itself to have at least two components of an outer and inner. Suspension. See, what do we think about that? I don't know anything about it, but I know it's just controversial. Maybe uh, that's a heavier topic. Yeah. I think they did a little bit of research into it, if I remember, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I think the only issue with suspension, uh, I, I'd have to shout Sonic Boom because I remember at the 2020 World Finals, uh, me and uh, my teammate, um, the lead engineer for Eclipse, Tom, um, we were really inspired by what, what they researched into uh, suspension. Um, and, we, and we sort of had a, a little go at trying it ourselves, and, and we found the same conclusion that um, you're taking so much energy out of the out of the forward momentum of the car by having some suspension on you know on a straight track where there's, there's hardly any bumps that it's, it's really it's not advantageous um, and that was our decision but it'd be really interesting what what, what another team could come up with uh, could have possibly been just the design we came up with the system that uh, we, we we thought was optimal um, but yeah we ultimately I think it might be too complex to enforce on every team especially as you know, this World Finals you had, um, I remember there was one team um, that had students, I think, were at the very minimum age for the World Finals, uh, very, very young, and I'm not sure how feasible oh, it like is. like 12 um, or something, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how feasible it is to, to enforce every team to have a, a suspension, uh, but it could be something like the multi-element wings, where you don't have to do it, um, but it is in the regulations. It could be, could be implemented like that. I, I'd love to see it like that. Yeah, someone in Twitch chat actually said it wouldn't make the cars faster, but I'm sure it'll be more interesting, which is a bit like the Halo, I guess, in that it doesn't make the car faster. It doesn't really like it affects the arrow. If anything, it makes it a little bit slower, but it'll make it much more interesting, much harder to design because you've got that much more thought 
Um, and that sort of loops into one of the discussions I was having with someone earlier, which was as a competition, F1 in schools is almost quite basic compared to something like um, the first robotics competition or something. I don't know how, how anyone else feels, but it feels about that. I think if you've done it multiple times, and keep in mind you guys are quite on the older end of the spectrum, you know, for F1 in schools. Um, so perhaps for you guys it does feel more simple, but for 14, 15-year-olds, I don't know. If you're competing for the first time, then does it seem quite simple? Or I don't know. That's my thought. I think um, it's sort of the barrier of entry, really. Like, at the moment, F1 schools are trying to create a competition that they can, A, make super accessible for nearly any year group in sort of secondary slash high school uh, level of education, Um, and also something that's easily adaptable worldwide. Um, Obviously, F1 schools has, has massive plans to sort of introduce the competition to to more countries and and invite more countries to the world finals and have larger world finals and i I think if you make the regulations too hard to understand it's going to reach that point where the barrier of entry gets just too much but i think suspension certainly like you said with the multiplane elements because there have been teams with suspension before um uh from memory a, a team from my school had a fully magnetic suspension um where it was using uh, opposing forces of magnets to sort of doff, uh, soften the blow um but again it's it's a fairly negligible sort of uh change uh to make especially on a straight flat track could make it not straight though yeah well yeah <laughs> I, we've talked jesse has brought that up before i don't know when he brought it up but i know in a very old episode of two years ago he's talked about having a circular track or you know something like that or having twists and bends in the track that would be interesting um, even it's like maybe a separate like just a, a one-off sort of thing to see how your car performs in like even if it's a corner like maybe parabolica where you you slightly uh turn it back on itself um who knows? Could be could be interesting to see how the cars perform then. In which case, downforce would actually play a a part, um, and you'll have sort of it'd be really interesting because then be like Formula One, where you've got your teams that are fantastic in the corners, like your Red Bulls, and then you've got the teams that are mega on the straight lines, like the Ferraris. Um, and so, sort of, you know, do you play a balance, or do you you know maximize your your cornering speed? So you minimize your um, so sort of downforce in order to have the best straight line speed. And that could play into sort of Matthew's idea of having, you know, setup changes in, within the competition as well, um, and and having that sort of adjustment of wing levels. Uh, so in the chat, they said uh, could just have regulations that that progressively get harder going from regionals to worlds. To be honest, I quite so like that idea. That at the moment. Yeah, mm. and that's like as Ben just said, that's what we've got at the moment. We've got. Uh, regionals and nationals which are sort of like they're relatively straightforward you're basically designing a rocket ship on wheels and then when you get to worlds it's actually a like a race car with a halo and you've got all these little nuances that you have to work around but um, at the same time that's also what they've got with the cadet class they've got the development class they've got the professional class so that's another way that you can work into it so maybe if they make the professional class harder but the development class maybe more accessible because at the moment, I'm not sure what the regulations are. Peter, you'd probably be better with that because you're a teacher now. 
Um, but I, don't I think, think so. they're a different. I think they're a different. <laughs> they're, um, maybe if they made uh, dev class regs and the dev class more accessible, more teams um, being able to compete in that and then move on to professional class and it gets harder between regionals through the worlds as well. Like that could be another improvement. Mm. And then there was the other uh, aspect uh, that I know is floating around because now they're reaching that 60, well, they had 68 teams at Worlds this year, um, which was quite a lot. Probably that was a lot. It was. I wouldn't go more than that, to be honest, especially if you look at knockouts as well, that was running, you know, that was very long. I think I don't even know what time it finished on the um, on that day because it was we, we left before it finished and I think it finished ten. I think they stopped at ten. Um, not because they finished, just because they wanted to finish at that time and um, finish up. But yeah, I, and for judging as well, it is a little you know, it's quite a lot of teams. So the the other aspect is how do they manage that? Are we going to see continental? Finals, as we're calling it. Finally. Um, yes. <laughs> After you know, four years of discussion. Yeah, it's been talked about for a long time. Again, the thing is with that, though, it's another, and I remember I've said this before, but it's another kind of expense for teams having to yeah. fly to another country, potentially twice if you're going to, you know, continentals, then worlds. Um, how do they filter it out? Or do they make it virtual? Because we know now that virtual competitions work. But um, do, they, do they really work? Like, it's sort of... It sort of half worked. Yeah. Yeah. Not to like discredit Britannia Red or anything, but like it was it was a tricky idea that they sort of made the best of a bad situation. It's probably not something they'd choose to do again. No, definitely not. But you're thinking if they have to do, you know, if they have to filter out teams before they get to Worlds, is that the way they do it? I'm sure they've, mm-hmm. you know, they're thinking through this, but, um, you know, that would be an interesting way to do it. Um, It'd be easier yeah. for like Europe and uh, North South America compared to like Australasia is really awful. Yeah. Yes, it's horrendous. You're going to yeah. have to fly either way, um, where you, wherever you go. And then you think about pit displays as well. You know, that's another thing. Unless you, unless they lock stuff in right and you can't change stuff between continentals and worlds, or you can only change certain things, that would be away potentially but yeah or you could have you could have a really fundamental continental where it's literally just judging your portfolios and maybe a couple of races where you send off a car um but you don't have to do a pit display you don't have to be in person like it's all virtual interviews virtual races that could be an option Hmm. it's quite tricky though but then you'd have to think about the season because it's currently on a Let's call it a two-year cycle, you know. You yeah. do the regionals in the first year or the state finals, and then you go to nationals the next year, and then six months after that, generally, you go to Worlds. Um, how oh, does, God, that's you know, another thing. There seems to be every year, there seems to be a couple of teams that have got 15 months. Since COVID, there's been teams with, like, 15 months well, to Worlds. Well, let's talk about that, because Australia <laughs> fixed that problem this year, but now the UK has that problem, so... I think they're going to fix it as of 2024. It looks like it, because I'm guessing they're sending um, two seasons worth of teams to the 2024 World Finals. Um, I'm guessing. I don't know if that's confirmed, but yeah, we'll um, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I'm not sure how they ended up in that situation, given that Australia just fixed it. But anyway. 
that that shouldn't be a thing anymore. But yeah, if they do put in a continental final, are they gonna you know give you three months between nationals and worlds? Sorry, nationals and continentals, and then another three months to worlds, or do they lengthen it out? You know, so that you do have a six month gap between each of those events. Yeah. Well, I mean, recoil proof so, that three months you can like mm. you can win a world championship in three months, but definitely. Um, for a lot of teams, that's going to be too short. And Recoil also had the advantage of summer holidays. So if mm. you're if you don't have some sort of like time where you can fully focus on F1, if you haven't got pretty much nine to five, I think they were doing of um, F1. Like I think that's almost a bit unfair. Mm. Um, and yeah, some people take gap years. I don't know yeah. if there's anyone in here who would have done that. But um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Would you? Would you? I'm guessing Javier's still there. No camera, but um, uh, he's sort of half there. I don't Javier, know. I would you um say that you would take a gap year again to do F1 in schools for the world finals, or not? Or is he not there? Ah, uh, he's having a poo. <laughs> <laughs> Leaving that in the edit. Okay uh, then. All right, moving on. Uh, if, if we grab a quick look at the Twitch chat, um, someone said, "Yeah, but then having done well at nationals and then going on to a smaller continental uh, championship, it sort of seems a bit weird." I think that's why continentals would work better as a virtual event because the prestige isn't there as a national event or a world finals event. Like those are the events that you actually want to compete at, um, and. It'd be more like a more of a filter event to see, you know, putting the best foot forward from a certain uh, region um, rather than treating it more like a competition. Um, Javier, welcome back from your uh, <laughs> toilet break. Seamlessly uh, transitioning <laughs> as you yeah, sorry. Very sorry about that. Um, we, we were wondering, um, you, you took a gap year to prepare for the world finals. Would you do that again? given the experience you've now had or yeah. would you not do that again? No, absolutely. I, I would do it, you know, every time someone asks, like, you know, I, I don't regret doing it at all. Um, I learned so much. I mean, I complete, my, my life completely changed uh, over the course of that year. Um, and, you know, I, I took a gap year starting off the season at regional. So I, I never knew I was, you know, never knew, um, you know, the team would or we'd get to uh, the wild finals. It was just, you know, something to keep me motivated. Um, and yeah, it was amazing. I mean, everything I learned during the year, um, having to sort of not start fresh because we'd obviously have the, the, the experience from two seasons, um, but raise the money again uh, to get to the world finals, you know, bring on bring on board new partners, um, you know, with the regulation change, design a completely new car. Um, yeah, it was 100% worth it. And, you know, last, you know, this year, my experience from the school was, 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 was incredible. I mean, I'd had so many... And two years through COVID, and I only really started my journey as soon as the lockdowns uh, started happening. So I never really had proper experience with F1 in schools uh, for the first two years. Uh, so to get that final season where, you know, I competed at a virtual regional final, um, which was, you know, fine, and then we went to the nationals and became national champions, that experience in itself is, is you know, that was life-changing. I'll never forget that. Um, and, the, you know, all those months preparing for the world finals and getting a, an incredible, incredible experience was in Singapore. I'll, uh, yeah, I could never regret that. It's 
really crazy to think between, I know we talked about this before, but how much has changed between like when we did, when we started off the track and when we did our last Christmas special and then where we are now, like everything that's happened. I remember, and I think I said to you, Javier, like I saw there was a message from you to the off the track account back in 2020 saying, oh, you know, love the podcast. When's the next episode coming out and stuff? And now here you are, you're on the podcast and you're part of off the track and you're helping us. Um, but yeah, that's that's crazy to have, you know, yeah, started doing it during COVID and then to end up, you know, where yeah, you are very, now and having been to the world finals in Singapore. And It's a very, very full circle moment. Yeah, just, you know, I, I was a fan. I, I loved off the track. I remember in lockdown. It's what, what kept me sort of motivated with the competition, inspired hearing about, you know, your experience and, and, and Ben's experience and many people's experience with the competition, getting to hear how, how good a physical event is and and was i mean that's what motivates me to keep going so i always appreciate that and it's yeah very full circle to be here again i felt that with judging um last week i was a judge at the regional finals where where i had my first uh, competition in harlow uh, in north london and it was just really yeah it was amazing to be back and have, have gone through the whole program and then i'll be giving back yes it's it's, it's really nice and there's something very fulfilling about coming back and you know especially like with my teams now, like I'm so proud of them and yeah, they're amazing, amazing guys. Um, we must I mean, Peter, you've been it. even more. You've been a judge and a, yeah. Mm. You've been a judge, a competitor and a teacher now. You've been like every single side apart from um, like HQ basically. Yeah, or being part yeah, of next, REA next or something. Is, so. Next step is Peter's writing the next set of regulations. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, good luck if that's the case, given, you know, my technical knowledge. Uh, yeah, imagine a graphic designer writing the engineering regulations. <laughs> Almost like having a graphic designer on for an engineering episode. <laughs> I, I, I would bring I would bring back Lurs if that were the case. Um, but you know, they'd put like bulletproof glass around the track. So <laughs> no, That's you know, kill anyone again. Yeah. So no one could be uh, injured or anything, but yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, I, this competition is amazing. And the reason I keep staying involved with it is because everyone's so engaged with it. And I really believe that this is how education should be done. I had my full circle moment the other day when the one of the local teams came into my work and did their sponsorship pitch to me. Oh, that, wow. That's wild. Yeah. So here I am standing there. Um, like I, I've spoken to this team before, like I judged them at regionals and everything. Oh. So they knew who I was and, um, and whatnot, but they, they still got the whole pitch out and, you know, it was, um, it was, it was very sort of surreal thinking back, you know, four, five, six years ago. Um, well, Closer to six years ago when I started the competition, like that would have been me, you know, going business to business, just trying to get whatever money we could to, to make it to the next level. Um, and yeah, like you said, I think the reason why we all come back to this competition, why we still continue off the track is, um, you know, it's the, the reception that this competition still receives. Um, and, and like I said, at the start of the episode, you know, big props to, to F1 schools for, for continuing to support such an incredible competition um, and, and really focusing on the the future. Um, I know we all love to, to take the mickey out of some, some certain cringy comments about, you know, the, the future of STEM and whatnot, but 
Um, it, it certainly is sort of a different type of education that I don't think you would receive in a classroom. Yeah, I think everyone involved with this competition realizes that yeah, this is this is this is a great initiative, and you know, this is how it should be done, and it should grow. Every everyone should have the opportunity to do something as good as this. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd yeah. have to. I'd have to, uh, yeah, just back what you're saying there. I think now that I've started university, I've started a degree, everything I did for everyone in schools, I can, you know, very tangibly say how much it helps. Um, although it wasn't, you know, you weren't doing the same stuff you do in maths or physics, um, but the stuff you were doing through engineering with a car or working with people in the industry, marketing yourself as a brand, all of that helps so much. And regardless of what degree you do, um, and I'm only just starting to find that now. So, you know, hopefully it continues to help me um, throughout my degree. But yeah, no, I, just, I was going to make that point. Yeah. And if I just jump on that, I mean, one of my teammates who just finished his first year of uni, he was saying that pretty much every single thing he's been taught about, um, specifically CAD, like he's been doing the same thing. He's been covering that for probably two or three years now just with the depth that F1 has sort of brought him. And so uh, if I remember correctly, he, I think he got a hundred percent on his final exam because he just, he killed every single CAD thing. He knew it. He's been practicing it for like three years. Um, so like, that's one of the things that you don't realize until you hit uni is that it brings out, it teaches you these things that you don't actually, you don't realize you need until you do a degree. And I'm sure it's the same for like, he's doing an engineering degree, but if it was like an arts degree, if you, if you went into a degree in marketing, I'm sure it'd be the same where you go in and there's, there's all these little nuances, these things that you pick up when you're trying to sell yourself to a multinational sponsor, um, that they're only just teaching you in maybe first or even second year. And you're just going, Oh wait, I already know that. Like I've done that already. Yeah. I would, I would, I would just say, yeah. With the, oh sorry, I'll very, I'll very quickly make this point. I was going to say with the, with the CAD program specifically, um, it doesn't matter if like you were doing or you'd done an F1 in schools a different uh, program. For example, we use Orthodox Fusion 360, the University we use Simon's uh, and X, and it's like even though it might not be the exact same user interface or the same sort of set, set of rules, just having that experience of using CAD for so many years, it's the same as uh, a teammate you're speaking about, Matt. It's just it's the intuition of knowing what you're already doing uh, in a new program. It makes it a thousand times easier to learn uh, that new skill. So, yeah. The thing with F1 and skills that I've found difficult to kind of get across to some people is that it's hard to convey the complexity of it because people just think, oh, you know, it's just these small bolts of blocks and, you know, how, you know, how much complexity is there in that? But people don't realize, you know, as everything that's just been said, there's so much more to it. Um, yeah, and, and actually trying to get building that on that, mm. like all of the, like there's the marketing side, obviously the marketing side's um, really interesting. There's so many layers to it. Like how do you appeal to these multinational sponsors? Um, like, I don't know, we had Qatar at one point, we had Qatar Airways, um, but like, as well as the engineering, like whether one of the conversations I had with, um, one of the representatives from UCL was University College London was whether it's better for the wheels to spin or whether it's better for them to slide. Like, and we had a full on 30 minute, maybe 45 minute conversation about um, 
what was the better outcome and whether you'd rather have stiff bearings that didn't spin or bearings that did spin and which would have less friction, which would produce the faster time. So like all of that sort of theory is something that you can think about for designing the car and coming up with like the best, the fastest possible car, the most points, all of these engineering things that you can talk about the theory in your, in your portfolio, all sorts of things. Like the baseline is really low, but the upper echelon is so like, it's a really low entry level, but a really high top level is what I found. Absolutely. Um, Fantastic. Might uh, just quickly. Well, Someone said uh, in chat, when are you taking over REA? Uh, it's, in, it's in the uh, future plans. <laughs> I'm actually, I don't, uh, I don't actually in the process of uh, sending an email now. <laughs> um, speaking of future plans, here's the segue, actually. Um, the competition and us, what's to look forward to in, in 2024? Um is there anything special we're doing, Peter? I, I from what? memory, we're we're taking a bit of a step back. We I, are taking th- a bit of a step back. I'm taking a bit of a step back. I don't yeah. know if everyone else is following me in that because I'm taking a step back. But um, well, I th- think uh, as a whole, uh, a lot of the sort of older production team, we're we're all taking a bit of a collective step back from uh, off the track. Obviously, still be involved in the community one way or another. But um, you know, we've all got go a bit more on our plates than what we did, you know, now four years ago. So obviously Peter's a teacher and, um, you know, the, the rest of us are either, you know, handling more life stuff or, or have university and other commitments. So um, although you may hear a bit less from us, uh, certainly may hear more from our fantastic guest tonight with, with Matthew and Javier. Um, you know, thank you again for, for coming along for that. Um, and and some, in terms of hmm? something for next year to look forward to is our five-year anniversary. So we might have oh, some, blimey. some oh, interesting things coming up for that. Um, but it's, that. It, yeah, but it Twitch is, it is it, yeah, well, <laughs> look, we've got to get everyone. See, the thing is it, it is impossible for everyone or for all of us to be in one location at the same time, even though all of us were in Singapore at the same time, maybe not all together, but <laughs> we're all in the same city. Um, yeah, I I don't know if we'll ever get everyone all in one place who's ever contributed to Off the Track, which is actually quite a lot of people, to be honest. So, mm. yeah. Um, I know we've said that a lot of times, but look, all of our content is thanks to the contributions of all of our volunteers um, and all of our audience as well. It's really a community thing. It's not, you know, one of us or whatever. Um, it's a collection of us. But yeah, how we go forwards, I'm not sure. But yeah, next year is the big five, just five. Um, <laughs> 2024 AGM, everyone's going to be there. Gold Coast, if you get there. <laughs> we'll see. Actually, around the same time as schoolies as well. No. <laughs> that would be horrendous. Do um, we need to explain what that is for non-Australian uh, people? So, so, so for any of our international listeners, viewers, um, or watchers at the moment, uh, schoolies is an Australian event that occurs every year once um, that year's crop of year 12 students have finished their HSC in which some travel to Bali um, and get arrested and some travel to Queensland and get arrested. Um, you know, it's just a, it's a week long event of 
things I'm not allowed to repeat on the podcast. But I was I was looking at TikToks from this year's schoolies and like it made it out to look like there weren't a lot of people there. Is that well, from that's what that's I know of, schoolies is, is becoming less and less popular, whether mm. it's, you know, the fact that our uh, living index is getting more and more expensive within Australia at a yeah. ridiculous rate, or, um, you know, maybe maybe that way of life has just changed. Um, but yeah, AGM on the Gold Coast. Highly <laughs> time, mate. Possibly. Um, if we bring it back to the conversation of F1, which we probably should, um, one thing that <laughs> one oh, thing on, I saw our name on is Twitch, literally off the track. Like, you know. <laughs> oh, that, that's true. I, that's we, in the name, bud. I mean, Clearly. I think you're a bit old for schoolies, Peter. So, um, <laughs> okay. Wow. To be honest, I, I've never felt so old in my life than being at the after party at the World Finals. Like, I just what felt- happened at the after party. Peter feeling old. His grades were showing that night. Yeah. I don't remember the after party. Someone in the Twitch chat said, um, I wonder how well a team of uh, six off the track members would do in a competition as they are now. And Terry, so I guess, I, no, I guess <laughs> as an extension of that would be which which off the track members would bring would you bring into the team? Like would you take oh, Jesse? Okay. Or well Jesse's you, the only Peter? one with any competent engineering out of yeah. like the the original sort of members. Mm. Um, okay, so are we only the, taking the original members? Are we not taking um, like some of the newer income, like uh, Javier and James, who are yeah, a bit yeah. on the engineering? I, we'd probably take probably three engineers, easy. Um, I get. I would get some of the Sonic Boom guys in because they're pretty. Mm, good. Um, that's, that's fair. But Can we have more than six? Can we make like a Greek team and have like twenty eight <laughs> or something <laughs> with the funnier oh. members? <laughs> Um, who, who would the main six be who would the main six be i guess that's the question that's a hard one to that's, it's a hard one that, that'd be something we'd have to like actually sit down and discuss i reckon um yeah. but you I, know, I, there, I know. What, there has been like Peter is team manager there there has been talk of like doing well not officially but you know sort of with us about doing like an all-star kind of team well I, yeah it comes up every so often but yeah. I, I don't know I think it would be we wouldn't good. be able to do like obviously actually answer the competition a because no. we're all too old and you know because we don't the, have the time <laughs> don't have the time don't have the money don't have anything that the competition actually requires um james gurney would be there for sure oh, he's watched that's true, no, actually. <laughs> friend of the channel james gurney yes. um no it'd be a, a very interesting sort of conversation to to have i suppose but um I might, uh, might wrap this up just because we have been ch- uh, talking for, for an hour and Peter wants to try and edit this before Christmas, which is <laughs> an absolute it's mega ambitious, endeavor for mate, someone that's retired. We're, we're recording this on the 22nd of December, um, so it doesn't leave me with a lot of time to get two it out days. by Christmas, but I want to get it out by Christmas. If you um, split yeah, the audio file in half, I'll do the other half. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll do all of it. I'll do all of it. Um, but yeah, as you, yeah, it's amazing how much work someone who's retired is doing. Um, <laughs> so uh, I retired four times, I think. Uh, so. Yeah, that's it. But I mean, it's just oh, look because I, I want to kind of walk away from it, but at the same time, we have like three or four episodes we need to get out. This is another one that's added to that list. Um, hmm. This one's once, a priority. You know what? This once, one's a priority, mate. Oh, hundred percent. 
Yeah. Once once all of them special. are out, then I can truly walk away and go, okay, I'm satisfied. I'm but until they're out, I'm there's something just in you know in my head just kind of going, oh, you're not Great, quite finished we'll see yet. You in- 2025 as well then, Peter. Um, <laughs> gonna, make, gonna make sure they're never edited, Peter. No, no, it will end. <laughs> it will end. No, thank you all for, for watching, listening and viewing this episode of Off the Track. Bit of an uh, impromptu, impromptu episode, so I'd like to thank um, all of our guests here tonight. Um, Ethan as well, and Lily, who's also been just listening to our conversation for yeah, the past Yeah, can we say Lily, Lily from Honeycomb <laughs> is here. But her microphone is not working, we believe. Um, but we, we can put in her video so you'll see her now doing all these kind of sign language gestures. Um. <laughs> and attempting to speak as well, like all these, yeah. like chopping up and then, oh, no one can hear me. And having a mic tap a couple of times. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been fantastic. Um, no, thank the sign you all language for, has been appreciated. <laughs> thank you all for coming along. Thank you all for watching um, and supporting us for another year. Um, again, without our viewers um, and the support of the great community, this wouldn't happen. Um, it really is a, a community project that was, although started four years ago from three different teams um, at, at various levels of their F1 schools journey, um, coming together, turning into, you know, a, a media group that has... Uh, amassed a, a global following which is just insane to think about so again thank you for that merry christmas and happy holidays to those celebrating um and and happy new year we'll see you in the next year for more off the track podcast cheerio merry christmas bye bye merry christmas everybody merry thank christmas you very much for listening merry christmas and a happy new year happy new year Happy New Year to you too, Javier. I hope your 2024 is filled with much joy and happiness. And uh, I love yes. everyone in this podcast. Oh, so sweet. Thank you for listening to Off The Track. If you enjoyed this episode, rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. And share the podcast with someone else who may find it useful. Stay up to date with us by following us on Instagram at Off The Track Podcast and visit offthetrack.net for the latest news.